So it's Saturday afternoon. I'm watching the Islanders Sabres game. And it's, you know, I'm watching it. If the Sabres come back to win this game, the Sabres still lose. Does that make sense? Um, uh, I, I feel like what Barzell did was still enough that it doesn't really matter, but I guess maybe. So for some reason, Porna Jeffrey, that goal is just a eh goal. Like, I was expecting when you said, like, oh, it's an amazing thing. Look it up before we start the podcast. I was like, oh, it must have been, like, some crazy goal. But it was just a between-the-legs shot, like, goal, right? Like, I feel like we see plenty of them these days that really, like, they've lost their luster compared to, you know, I don't know. I was expecting him to be, you know, flying across the ice, tripped up Bobby Orr with the the between-the-legs shot, or I don't know. I don't know if Jeffrey ever chooses to have kids one day. I feel bad for them because the expectations of this kid are just going to be out of this world. This kid's going to be like, I got 100%. And Jeffrey's going to be like, it's only grade two math. Just wait till grade three. It's not 1,000%. What is this? <laughs> oh, my God, Jeffrey. You are – your expectations are are very high, but I respect that. <laughs> my expectations for Matt Barzell will always be higher – uh, then my kids, my future kids, if I have kids, they will always be higher. I already feel bad for Jeffrey's kids. <laughs> you won't be loved as much as I love Matthew Barzell. <laughs> Don't you have Matthew Barzell on your fantasy team? Yes, that may be why I'm hyping him up more than I need to, but uh, I'm sorry. That was a beautiful goal. Um, I guess I'm impartial on it. What's your take, Anson? Uh, I think it's a great goal. Considering that he just flew across the ice and he he fought off Ristolainen and managed to score a little tweener over the goalie, like like yeah, you see that more often these days. But at the same time, it's like it's probably because you've seen them so often. You're like, oh, it's not that great. It's not that great. But every one of them is still great. You we try doing this, we're gonna trip and like you know bang our head in the ice. I already got a couple fake teeth. I might as well add to a couple. Add a couple more. I think Anson speaks for himself that he thinks that he'll fall flat on his ass if he tries to do it. I don't know about me and Olsen. I think me and Olsen can probably pull it off. Jeffrey's Jeffrey's opinion on this does not expressly represent the views of the other co-hosts of this Bag of Pucks podcast at this current moment. Fine, fine, fine. But, you know, enough about Barzell. We've got a busy uh, episode this week, so why don't we start the show properly, shall we? You're listening to the Bag of Pucks Podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. And we are back. So we've got a quite a heavy episode this week. Well, not not heavy in terms of like, you know, the topics, but we've got quite a lot to talk about. I mean, first off, we've got this big interview that me and Allison did with uh, Patrick Bedell, an NHLPA certified agent. We're going to talk about the Sens like we always do. Uh, we're going to go back and li- listen back to our uh, earlier uh, season predictions and see how wrong we were. And then we're also going to touch on whatever the hell is that's happening in Buffalo. So what do you, what do you guys want to start off with this week? Let's just get out of the way. Let's just go through our terrible early season predictions. Yeah, yeah. So I got written down. Uh, let's start in the north and just, you know, move our way through. Uh, so with Alston, we have... Your four picks for the uh, playoffs were Calgary, Toronto, Vancouver, Edmonton. For Jeffrey, we have Montreal, Edmonton, Calgary, Toronto. And for me, I had Toronto, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver. You know what? The fact that I had Toronto second is a bit of a consolation prize. I'll give you that. Um, Calgary, you know what? Eh, I thought it was a good pick. I think they were a nice safe pick to be up there, but yeah, it's, it's rough. The Canucks, we just, we're just going to pretend they don't exist. I never said anything about the Canucks. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all picked Calgary, right, Anson? Yeah, we all have Calgary and Toronto and Edmonton, actually. We have, we have those three in common. Oh, interesting. Well, I mean... I, I think we're gonna we're, we'll talk about Calgary later in the episode, obviously. But uh, 
like I think we all thought that was a safe pick. They made some good improvements, really. So maybe they'll surprise us in the second half of the season. But really, I I think I, I would agree. All three of our picks were like you know they're, they're still possible. They're not like oh this world. Maybe the Vancouver pick maybe might not happen. But I, I feel like we were fairly consistent there. Um. So I gotta ask because we we've, we've clowned you about this so many times. Do you still feel confident that the uh, Canadians will win the division? Uh, yes, 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 I do. I am confident in my Montreal Canadiens. They will uh, win the division, even though they are going through a rough stretch. But, you know, they go through a rough stretch every year, and they still rebound and play well. So uh, I feel like they're going to go in a good stretch now, win a, some good games. Or even if they lose, they'll always make sure that they lose in overtime, like always. So that's fine with me. All right. I will go on a limb here and say, yeah, I don't think the Flames are winning. <laughs> I think uh, Montreal is going to make the playoffs. I don't think they're going to win it. Win the division. Sorry, when they win it. Yeah, that, like they're not going to win the division. I think they're definitely going to make the playoffs, but winning is a whole separate conversation. Yeah, you know what? Fair enough to each their own opinion. Which, which division are we going to next, Anson? Well, let's go to the East. Uh, so, Alson, you had Boston. Washington, New York, uh, Rangers, and Philly. G- uh, Gio, you had Islanders, Philly, Pittsburgh, Washington. Oh, and I had Philly, Pittsburgh, Washington, and Buffalo. <laughs> As a wishful thinking. <laughs> Sorry, that didn't pause. <laughs> You shouldn't laugh at our guests like that, Olsen. Sorry. It was wishful. It was really wishful thinking, and um, they didn't have the same thoughts over there. <sighs> okay, so we'll we'll go over the sabers later. We'll go. <laughs> that's fine. That's, that's a that's a later problem. <laughs> well, I mean, the the East is pretty stacked. I mean, I, I went wishful thinking and thinking the Bruins wouldn't be able to survive without a top four, but they seem to be doing okay. But the East is like they're they're quite a like. Like besides, you know, your Rangers, Buffalo, maybe the Devils, right? It's a five horse race, and they're all really good teams too, right? So it's it's quite competitive right now, and it's going to suck that one of those teams aren't going to be able to make the playoffs. But I feel like maybe except the the Buffalo pick, which was way way out there, I, I feel like you know our predictions are still possible. We we still have a chance. Mm, I think the Rangers pick was a bit of wishful thinking too. I'll give you that. No, it's nowhere near the Sabres. Don't get me wrong. Um, the Islanders are the one team that you know surprised all of us. Though, am I am I right on that one? Uh, yeah. Only Jeffrey had it. Where did Jeffrey have the Islanders? Well, I don't think he said in any particular order. He the only thing he wanted for all these like none of these are in like any like particular order. Just who's gonna make it? Uh, okay. Yeah. Like I think Islanders surprised me. Maybe because I don't see the star power there. Um, besides Matt Purcell, obviously. Maybe that's why, but they're just chugging along. Nice defensive team. I'll live with that. I don't feel bad at any of my picks here. Let's go to the next one. All right. We got the West. Uh, basically, we all had three of the same picks. We got Vegas, St. Louis, and Colorado. That's like a lock for all three of us. And Austin, you had the Kings. Jeffrey, you had Anaheim. And I had Mini. The Kings will make the playoffs. <laughs> I, I definitely regret my pick, but I will continue to you know sit on the Ducks as a sleeper team every year that they they just got John Gibson. They've got a good team, it's just that they can't score, which sucks. But well, I, I think Anson's mini pick, you know, like them always like I, we everyone thought they were gonna rebuild or whatever, but they're they're revealing their right their normal identity of making the playoffs just and then exiting the first round. I mean, as we're <clears throat> as we're talking about this right now, they are fourth in the division, so they're exactly where we expect them to be. Not for long. The Kings will come, man. I'm telling you, they're going to they're gonna crush the Wild. Haven't uh, the Wild beat the Kings like four games out of five this season or something? Yes. <laughs> Possibly. Didn't Kaprizov kind of dangle Doughty for a pretty nice goal a little while back? It's okay. We could just lose the Wild and then win every other game. We'll still make playoffs. We'll just avoid that. You know, we'll go the full boogeyman method. That is effective planning if I've ever heard of some. I think also we'll just sit by himself in the King's Corner while we move on. And it'll be great. All right, what's left in the Central Division there, Anson? 
All right, so we got Central. We so Jeffrey, you and I had the same picks. We all we both had uh, Tampa, Carolina, Dallas, and Columbus. And Alston, you had Tampa, Dallas, Columbus, and Nashville. Yeah, not not a great one for me. <laughs> Who would have thought the Stars would? You know, they played you know a lot less games in the rest of the division, but I would have thought they were you know this bad. Um, Predators. Oh man, why do I always look at the Panthers and Hurricanes and go, ah, it's okay. It's one of those teams that, you know, you just look at them and you're just like, they're all right. They're not good. They're all right. But then they always, like on paper, they look all right, but like they end up playing very well. And like, yeah, I don't know the the stars, how they're, like, I know they played eight less games than the Red Wings, but they're still, you know, behind the Red Wings. And the expectation is they're going to get ahead of the Red Wings, right? Yeah, well, Dallas and Florida started off well, like when they came back from their like their early season delay. Like they came back and they won like each like they didn't lose for like, the first four games or something. And then I don't know. I, I was surprised to see Dallas at the bottom of the standings. I mean, it's by points, and they yes, they have played like eight less games than the Red Wings. But like I, I feel like we're gonna see the Stars rebound. I feel like that's a safe pick. I think really it's the florida and chicago's of the world in that division that's just screwing up everyone's predictions there i, I didn't think i don't think people thought that like you know two teams with shit like perceived shit goaltending was going to you know end up having good goaltending and make it, make it run for the playoffs i mean i don't know man this this one's hard but i think the stars are going to they're not going to finish last in the division right it's just a bit of an overreaction right now absolutely they're like Basically, all they need to do is get an overtime loss or a shootout loss in one of their eight games, and they tied Detroit. Okay, so we're looking at this right now. We're looking at the at the at the standings. Are we looking at this wrong? Do we have to do what Jeffrey does and go? You gotta look at points percentage. Oh, I can see a grin on Jeffrey's face. I don't sound <laughs> like that. So, uh, but yeah. This is uh this is why I say that their standing should be by points percentage, right? Freaking NHL.com. Like, you know, just put it on points percentage, right? As your default. They already did that for the 1920 season. They might as well do it for the 2021 season. We're not going to be looking at the points, or we should be looking at the points percentage. You know what the saddest point part of that statement is though, Jeffrey? What? If we look at points percentage, Nashville and Dallas are still second last and third last. <laughs> it doesn't further my point at all if we just kind of change the rules a little bit it puts them a little bit closer and you're the only one who picked nashville so you can uh, go live in that corner as well you and your kings and predators corner uh, I, I, this isn't the hill i'm dying on it's fine all right so now that we've looked look back at our um predictions is there any is there one change that you would make that would if we were to revisit this at the end of the season, that would make your predictions look a lot better. What's the one change you would do? Oh, I got one. I got one. <laughs> does it have? Does it have to start? Does it start with a B and end in Buffalo? <laughs> it's my it's my little Buffalo Sabers over there, chugging along. Yeah, I'll, I'll change them. That's the uh, I guess the one I would I would change. And who would you change it to? See, so I got Washington, Pittsburgh, Philly. You know, I'll, I'll jump on the little Islanders, and they're doing a lot better than I expected. So let's go with the Islanders and not Buffalo. Although realistically, any other choice, any other choice kind of would have been more realistic. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. How about you, Olsen? Um, Well, obviously, it would be the Kings finished first in the West. Book it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. It, it has to be the Central, right? I have the Predators and the Stars. It has to be one of those two. And it's probably going to be the Predators. I'm going to change and take the mulligan on. And, like, the Hurricanes? I think they'll do better than the Panthers, even though, like, the Panthers are down by one point and have a game in hand. But still, I still think the Hurricanes... I, I some of the Panthers, I just don't trust. It's the goaltending. Um, but, yeah, I assume Predators, right? It can't be anything else. I still believe the Kings are going to be fourth in the West. I believe. All right. Well, I'm going to go up to the North because I want to at least have one perfect prediction. So I'm definitely going to switch out Calgary for Winnipeg. I think, I remember we were all joking with uh, Anson when we were making these predictions when he thought that Tyler Myers and Dustin Bufflin and Jacob Truba still played for Winnipeg. And that's why he picked them. But clearly they don't need any of those. They can stick with Neil Pionk, uh, Tucker Pullman, 
and uh, Dylan DeMello as their right side of D, and they can still make the playoffs, pretty sure. So I'm going to switch up my Calgary prediction for Winnipeg so I can uh, at least have the North Division covered. So yeah, that's pretty much our uh, early season uh, predictions there. I, I feel like we definitely made some wrong ones, but uh, hopefully our, our predictions are right come the end of the season. All right, so moving on, Jeffrey. So talking about bad teams, we have Buffalo Sabres, but we also have the coach killers themselves, the Ottawa Senators, right? Yeah, they're... Uh, well, this this was... Uh, Anton was talking about this thing, that... Uh, are, are, are the Sens coach killers or are they just like that that level of expectation that if you can't beat them, then you're, 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 you should be fired? But Calgary beat them. And then uh, their coach got fired. They, they did lose like, what, 6-1 to them a couple of games ago. And at the same time, it's, I think if you lose, like, say, I don't know, 2-1, 3-2 to the Sens, I think it's kind of like, you know, it's a toss-up. Every game's a toss-up. Everyone could win. But if you lose six one to them, there's there's probably an issue there because, for the most part, like we said, Ottawa's not really a a team anyone's expecting to win this year, or kind of compete. They're just here to kind of ice the rookies, give them the ice time, see how they perform, and if you lose six one to these guys, um, I think you might have an issue with your team. So the issue is that. If if Jeffrey's if that theory is right and it's does agree with Jeffrey is that the Flames didn't beat them hard enough, or also the fact that they lost pretty single handedly to them a couple of games ago, so that like it must have been in the books for quite a while. Like the fact that they fired him kind of right around them winning. Like you would feel like they would fire him like during an off day, not like on a game day, which is you know definitely kind of weird. So. And as, especially after a win, too. But I, I think the most surprising thing is that the coaching changes aren't, aren't happening to a teams that, like, they're obviously not playing up to their standard, which is, uh, like, it's not great, obviously. But you normally expect, like, you would think, like, the Preds would have been, like, John Hines would have been one of the first fires, not, like, a Claude Julian or a Jeff Ward. You would think it would have been someone else, but... I, it's just interesting how it turns out if you play the Sens, then you're, you're more than likely going to get fired very soon. Okay, so we got to talk about this as well. You said something about firing at the end of the game. Did you guys catch the Montreal Canadiens firing the goaltending coach mid-game? Yes. At what? Like, why would you be like, hey, we got to fire him mid-game? Like, why can't you wait till the end of the game? Because, because Carey Price let in a goal halfway through the second period, and that was when. Around that time, their goalie coach got let go. But like, can this have not waited a little bit? Maybe I don't. I like I feel like all these firings like they're in the works, but I think the NHL definitely needs to work on their timing for some stuff. Like, like, are, but are even goalie coaches even behind the bench during the games? Like, aren't they likely to maybe um like they're only there for practices and stuff maybe? Well, that's my point, though. So, obviously, it wasn't like a guy walked up to the goalie coach behind the bench and was like, hey, you got to get off the bench. You're fired. You don't work for this team anymore, obviously. But it's just like, is it because they're trying to, like, hide? Like, distract everyone? Be like, hey, quietly. Hey, mid-game. But, like, that's when you do the midnight press release, you know, when everyone's sleeping. And, you know, the press is already – like, the paper has already been printed. You know, you can always do that, but like middle of the game, it just distracts everyone from the game. Do you know what the score of that game was? I don't know. I just know that, you know, he got fired mid-game. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine Bergevin just walked over a couple of press boxes and just went, hey, uh, you got to go. You don't work for us no more. It's kind of what I'm imagining when he fired him. Because there's, there's no logical way that, you know, you just fire a guy in the middle of a game. It's like, there doesn't, there's no improvements. He can't improve your goalie midway through the game. He's not going to do anything. You're right. It's like you should fire him like not during the game. The three hours that the game's going on, not during that time is the best possible time. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Maybe like it has to do something with like they want, like Sean Burke is a big hire, right? Taking him from Hockey Canada and stuff. So maybe like 
in order to get Sean Burke, they had to fire Stefan Waite right there, then and there. So maybe that's why. But yeah, it, it, it's a bad look, I feel. But it, it's just, I, yeah, I agree. Like, I don't know why teams are firing people mid-games or like after a game or after a win. It's just, it's just a weird timing, I guess. It's unnecessary. But, I mean, I don't know. It, it just seems like... Is that is goaltending the issue for this team though, Jeffrey? As a Habs fan extraordinaire, is goaltending the issue for this team? Um, I think special teams is definitely the biggest thing for them. But like they just don't have that offensive game changer. Like I feel like Carey Price will have his moments. Like obviously he's not. We talked about this at length last week, right? Like is he still a star player? And really, I, I think if Montreal can find that offensive stud, that offensive game changer, like a Patrick Liney type, um, that would really help your team. But I, I think this is a process for them. Like, this isn't going to be like a one-year thing where they're suddenly going to be good just by bringing in one player. I think they're going to need like improvements from all their young players and as a team. Like, I, I think their system-wise, they still need quite a bit of work like against the Jets like yes they were peppering them with shots but like they just couldn't break through against the Jets so uh, I feel like I feel like you know having the goaltending isn't the biggest problem for this team but well let's let's go back to Calgary though I mean we kind of went sidetracked there but I I think the craziest thing from this Jeff Ward firing was that they decided to hire back Daryl Sutter which is perplexing to me to say the least uh, you need a veteran coach or a veteran team sometimes, I feel like. I'm okay with that, to be honest. With you. I am okay with that. But do you think, I guess here's my here's my thing. Do you think Sutter's like the last coach for Trey Living and this, this core itself before they just dismantle? I don't know about the core, because you look at the core, it's a pretty young core, right? The core is who, like, okay, minus Giordano, but like Monaghan, Markstrom, Tachuk. It's a pretty young core there, isn't it? I think Giordano's older. I get it. Yeah, but like, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, I think Markstrom's like 30-something, isn't he? Or 30? But for a goalie, it's fine. 31. That's fine for a goalie. Like, look at look at Quick. Look at Munquist. You know, um, look at Pulpy, the Bobrovsky. Goalies is different, I think. A goalie playing 37, 38 years old is not as wild as like, center playing 37 38 years old right okay uh Gaudreau, monahan and lindholm they're all around 26 27 yeah that's that's young but with the whole thing with like calgary right like it's is coaching the problem right is like what anton's asking about like i feel like jeff ward should have been the last coach for brad tree living i mean this he's on to his fifth coach by now like like he he he's kind of like a March Bergevin and does that he does all the right moves in the off season. He drafts fairly well. Doesn't really problem, but just the on ice product has never been good enough, really. So I do I I honestly thought that Brad Tree leaving would have been fired with Jeff Ward. So uh, if he hasn't been fired by now, I'm assuming that when Daryl Sutter is finally let go, that uh, Brad Tree living will be let go as well. But Alston, is your is your thinking that Daryl Sutter is going to be good? Is it just because of the fact that he coached the Kings to a couple of Stanley Cups? No, it's not bad. I mean, he just works better with like older teams, and he's not a rebuilding coach. But we're just saying that that the core for this team is in their mid twenties already. Like this, this isn't really like a like a rebuilding team, but it's not also it's not also not a veteran team like the LA Kings in the early twenty tens. Yeah, I, I know. So, like, maybe this won't turn out as a great idea. I don't know. But I, I think he's not bad. Um, comes with a little bit of baggage with the whole Dan Carcillo thing that, you know, I, I don't know who's right or who's wrong in this. So I don't mind me go into it. But I think it's – he's an interesting coach. A little bit old school. But, I mean, maybe a team like this needs that. I don't know. I think it's a, it's a good pick. Yeah. And like he's familiar with Calgary, right? This is his second stint. He's also been the GM as well. So I, I think we'll definitely see uh, some changes with Calgary. But I mean, they can play that defensive game. They've got the 
depth and the structure to play that defensive game, hopefully. But um, we'll definitely see if they can oust my Montreal Canadiens from that fourth and final spot of the playoffs. But um, before we move on to our last topic of the day with the Buffalo Sabres, um, I feel like a lot of our listeners are really interested in listening to our interview uh, with Patrick Bedell there. It's not every day that Alston can somehow, you know, network really well and get a NHLPA certified uh, agent with us. So, without further ado, I want to thank him for coming on the podcast. And uh, here we go. In this week's episode of the Bag of Pucks podcast, we've got a special guest on. Special guest, can you introduce yourself? The floor is yours. The floor is mine. I am Patrick Bedell. I am uh, an NHLPA certified agent. Awesome. So everyone knows agents help negotiate contracts, but it's not just the only thing the agent does. What is your role as an agent besides negotiating contracts? It's everything. It's everything. I I am the the person that you know helps people go through their day to day so i'm sort of like their assistant their um confidant they're a little bit of a therapist um i can't say that as a lawyer i'm like you know don't say that because <laughs> i do not have any schooling in that but um you know you, you're you're there for everything and the calls that i get from clients range from the the most expected and that's you know things related to contracts and the more uh basic things and then it's um you know i I get a call today about a client who wants to get their baseball card uh from the company that's making their cards they want to get some for their their uncle like it's just random things that just come up and uh yeah like every day is different okay so you mentioned that you've had a bunch of requests, you know, from example, a baseball card. There's got to be one in your entire career with your organization that just stands out as being like above the rest. In terms of requests, requests. You don't have to name the player, obviously. You, I mean, I, there's it's it, there's crazy things every day. Like I'll say something to a player, and the player will go out and have a great day, great game, whatever it is, and then I have to do that every game. Like you have to like there, there's things that like. The imagine you are the best friend to a person, right? And you know everything about them, and you know, you know, they, you want them to succeed and be happy and all these things. And then you've got thirty best friends that you have to do the same thing for. That you have to like, you know. <laughs> so it's a lot of work. Um, in terms of like the craziest, um, you know, sending peanut butter to cross country lines because they can't get the peanut butter they want. So. I don't know if that's all right, because I don't, again, you know, like there's, there's import tax and all those things that I just overlooked, but, um, yeah, sometimes you have to send peanut butter over to people. So you mentioned, uh, that you also, like, you, you also represent, uh, like baseball players as well. Um, like, I'm just wondering, is there like, is there a big difference between, you know, representing hockey players or base and baseball players, or even like artists like, um, what your company also represents? Yeah, so it's it's interesting and, and beyond what's listed on the website. I, I work with a few other people too that we haven't gotten around to update, like uh, a DJ, um, an NBA player turned entertainment person. He's writing movie scripts, all these things, and these people. You know, it seems very different on the surface, but it's very similar because everybody's got these idiosyncrasies that you just have to adapt to. And, you know, realistically, a 26-year-old with I, – I, I don't have a ton of experience in representing NHL players or hockey players. I don't have a ton of experience in any realm. So I'm going to go into any realm, and they're going to be like, this kid, what is he doing? So it's, it's very similar. The challenges are very similar. And it comes down to being – basically a good friend to each of your clients like no matter the gender no matter the the background no matter what it is that's all that everybody wants is someone to be along the ride of their pro career help them be uh, the best professional and help them be the best human being that they can be so you spoke of the challenges that you face 
um, you know, being a younger guy and, you know, earlier on your career compared to other NHLPA agents. Um, so we got to ask about the big challenge currently, COVID. How does that change the way you operate as an agent? I see you wincing a little bit. I think there's an interesting story here. I hate COVID. <laughs> I mean, everybody does. But, like, it's, <laughs> it's just like I – so give a little background on myself. I um, graduated law school uh, 2019, midway to, through 2019. Was, had my company opened at that time, uh, studied for the bar exam, took the bar exam while I'm running the company. So I get out and I finish, I graduate, I pass the bar exam, do all that garbage. And then I, um, I start doing the company full time and, you know, things are shaping up. Josh uh, Hosang asked me to be his agent around New Year's of 2020. So I'm like, 2020 is going to be an amazing year. I'm going to be achieve, you know, Josh Hosang is my best friend. So being able to represent him was like very great. Then. The paperwork is, I have my meet, last meeting with the NHLPA. They're doing, they get to do background checks, all this video. Last meeting was probably actually this day last year. So March 3rd, funny enough, March 3rd, because I know it's because my brother's birthday. So it worked out. But March 3rd last year. So I'm like, I'm done. I'm, I'm, my dream has finally made it. I'm, I'm, I'm the world ended like a week later. And I had joked all along when I was a kid and all these things that cause I'm going to go to law school and do all these amazing things and work so hard. And then the world will end. And it literally happened. And I was like, oh, my God, I got, if I use this power for good. But <laughs> I, I digress. So I got to ask, like, do you have any childhood predictions elsewhere? Like any other any more we should be concerned about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, aliens. There's some, there'll be aliens at some point. All right. <laughs> you're like what did i get myself into with this guy well we could talk about aliens later i think uh, me and Austin have differing opinions about that yeah um but you you mentioned uh josh hosang so your i would say your first like nhl negotiation was probably with lou lamorello probably with the islanders when you uh did his like his latest contract in october um was that like very intimidating that your first ever negotiation was with a guy, a GM like Lou? Um, if if that was the case five or ten years ago, I would say yeah. Like if I was in that situation, but I don't know. You you go through a lot of this. I've done negotiations for hundreds of thousands of dollars at the MLB draft, um, and I've had the blessing to know many professional athletes throughout my childhood and throughout my early adult years so going into meeting like a guy like i actually i've met members of the media members of the nhl staff many times prior to this um so you learn that they're just people you know and you, you reach them on a person to person level and um you represent your client the best you can so no i, I it wasn't it wasn't too intimidating there's respect um you know the same way you'd come across um, any person who's very successful. Um, you know, you want to learn from them, you want to understand them, and you want to try and emulate the things that they are successful with. Um, but you don't get intimidated. You don't, you don't turn off. Um, so that's really, you know, the best way I would say I went about that. And really any, any sort of situation where I I'm really in every situation, I am under experience in terms of their qualifications. So um, I don't approach it from a perspective of they're above me. I approach it from the perspective that they have things that I couldn't possibly have, and that's years. Um, so I use that to try and just learn. Mm -hmm. For sure. I just imagine since me and Olsen are both like originally from Toronto, and we hear all these stories about Lou, I'm just... I'm just like, I feel like if, if we ever met him for like the first ever time, it would just be such a like a guy who has so much experience and you're having to, you know, talk with him and negotiate with him. I would just, I, I know me and Olsen would be intimidated, but it sounds like you, you were right there at the table, ready to uh, help represent your client there. And at the end of the day, you know, people go in to try and get something accomplished. It's not, I think a big misconception is that, um, there's times in a in a in a any business relationship 
that there'll be animosity. There's times in, in various different situations. But when you're trying to uh, meet and, and uh, come to an agreement, it's a, it's a different, I, I, would, I would say it's, it's much more of a let's figure it out type mentality rather than a let's beat each other over the head with you know, numbers. Um, obviously, arbitration was interesting. Like, I didn't get to arbitration. But um, the process of, I mean, I, it did not, it's not as if I didn't realize that my first move as an agent was filing for arbitration on behalf of Josh against the Islanders. Like, I understood that. And, you know, Lou Lamorello and the Lamorellos, who are tremendous human beings, um, on the Islander side, like, I understood the magnitude of that. Um, but you either, you know, take your swings when you're up the, uh, up at the plate or, you know, you're, you're, you're not in the game. So it's, I'm, I'm just making up sayings as I go, but I think that appropriate, appropriately described the situation. Um, I think the most, inti- if I, and I'll try and give you a little sound bite from it, the most intimidating part of it was, and you can look up the quote, was like right after we filed for arbitration, I knew some people would be like, we don't understand why they're doing this. Um, because on the surface, everybody thinks arbitration is very, is, is for the NHL numbers and for the NHL salary. And I guess in most situations it is, but um, and it's not as if no one, you know, the Players Association, there were people that were like, why would you do it? But, you know, when you explain it and it's, you're going to get your AHL numbers higher too. So, um, but long story short, we do that. People are like what I realized some people I even know, cause I'm from Long Island. So Islander fans from that I know are saying, why is he going to arbitration? But then Lou Lamorello commented to the media and that's fine. You know, I have no, um, this is with the utmost respect. Um, I'm telling this story, but he, you know, he commented to Newsday, said that he was surprised, which isn't negative. That's not a negative thing. But being in this is my first move as an agent um, and the surprise, you know, you could interpret it any way. Like what, what is that? So it was just that was interesting because the media, I'll tell you for any like and I, I'm a lot. I talk a lot. So I apologize, guys. But um, uh for any person that wants to be an agent, the thing that you need to get the pre- prepared for the most, like you're going to work, you're going to learn. I imagine anybody that's serious about it, you realize it's not going to be easy to get to the point that you get to. The one part you may overlook and that you should not is media. Understanding the media, understanding it is a completely diff. That has been the hardest thing for me is the reporter's sending texting me calling me like trying to ask questions and you know trying to understand their interviews of the people that you're negotiating with it's a very you know you don't learn that you can't learn that in school but again i digress okay so speaking of media i'm going to give you the most media question ever sure what can we ex- what should we expect from josh saying this season well he's over in the shl right now with lynn shopping uh, he's, I'll just say, I think the thing with Josh is I'm very, very, very proud of the strides he's taken as a human being. And I've known Josh, you know, you get into how I've met players and come across with crazy stories, funny stories, but Josh is one of the best human beings I've ever met. I've ever come across. He's my best friend. Um, very complicated person. Um, Sorry, I'm getting a call. But a very complicated person, and I think we all are. Anybody that uh, anybody as a human being is complicated and has um, has things that they go through, challenges, uh, anxieties. You know, it's it's something that we we try and cross over at some point. And you know, whether you're successful right off the bat or it takes a few tries to, to figure it out. Um, the goal is to figure it out. It doesn't matter when. Um, 
So I, I think he's figured it out in terms of life, you know, being a happy human being, um, happy with himself, happy with, you know, a lot of different things. And um, now it's about chasing a dream. It's a roundabout way of saying, I think you're going to see what you've seen from him this year. And that's uh, a human being that is working for a goal. And wherever that goal is, it's just to be about being the best version of himself he can be. Yeah, I mean, that is the best answer I could even hope for. I was, you know, kind of nervous you'd be, uh, you know, he's going to work hard, he's going to be good. So I appreciate the honesty there. You know, there's not much I could ask for. Um, with that being said, we want to thank you for taking time to join us on the Bagflex podcast. We really appreciate it. Um, and we love to always end on a random question. So my random question for you today is, so I read that One Vision Sports and Entertainment, your organization, was you and your co-founder's dream back in high school. Yeah. So if it wasn't for being a player agent, what would high school Patrick's backup dream be? Oh, man. So backup dream. I had, I've had so many dreams, but they're all like generally the same. Um, so my first dream was being a general manager. Um, well, actually, my first dream was playing in the NHL, but I realized that like third grade, like I was projecting things and I was like, this isn't going to work. Um, so first thing was being a goalie in the NHL. Then it was a general manager. Then it was a player agent. Um, if it, it was always going to be a player, a player agent. Like it, I, I know it sounds weird, but like I accomplish my goals. It doesn't matter when I just do it. And then sometimes I change them after the fact, once I've accomplished them, um, you know, I, I needed another one, but like I had, I don't know how much time we have. Um, but I had, I met NHL, like a Russian NHL prospect when I was 16 and became very good friends with him then. Um, and learned about sports and sports management and agency and then had a bunch of buddies that played pro baseball and learned from like it was always like pro athletes I grew up with like celebrities lived in my town like of one family like it's just like things always led to me being around people that I now try or go or do represent so it's I don't know. It is it, the next goal is trying to figure out different ways to help people. But um, yeah, it, it, I guess that's the best way I could answer it. I, I think that's I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. And if you listen to our podcast, Jeffrey knows that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, again, just want to thank you for coming on today. Um, if people want to read more about what you do, where can they do that? Uh, they can read more about it. I mean, you can go to our website, uh, onevsc.com, one, the number one, V is in Victor, se.com. Um, you're also free to, to, you know, reach out to me on, uh, Instagram, P Bedell, B-E-D-E-L-L. I believe it's an underscore after that, but I may be wrong. Um, either way, I'll, uh, you could Google me and you'll just find it. Awesome. All right. Thanks a lot for coming on. Sure. No problem. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I thought that was a great interview with uh, Patrick Bedell. I think he was a, he's very genuine in the way he speaks and he's very, um, like you can see like how much of a relationship uh, agent has with their clients. And I think everyone should, if anyone wants to be an agent, I think, aspiring to be someone as motivated and genuine as Patrick Bedell is what you should be aiming for really. Well, I mean, if you are interested in this role, um, Patrick was, was nice enough to share ways to contact him. So, you know, make sure to, you know, message him on, on, on Instagram or, or whatever way works best for you. But yeah, I want to thank him again for coming on. A um, lot of fun. Um, yeah. But moving on, Jeffrey, we mentioned earlier we would talk about the Buffalo Sabres. Um, we're going to have to go there, right? Yeah. Uh, it hasn't been a good experiment over in uh, Buffalo. I, I, don't, I still don't know how. I, I guess they looked, like, you know, promising. Like, I mean, that's why Anton picked them to make the playoffs for some reason at the early, with the early season predictions. But, no, I, I think it, the big thing, I think, 
the news is like around Jeff Skinner being a healthy scratch all the time, right? This is a nine million dollar player. Like he's just sitting up in the press box every game because like he can make this lineup, but I think it's just Ralph Kruger just doesn't like him. And is that every coach has their guys, right? And the guys they don't really like either. So how much of this is him not being able to play, like Jeffrey mentioned? How much of it is he's just not his guy? It's a hundred percent. I think Jeff Skinner can make the lineup. His skill wise, I think is better than, you know, a majority of the guys that they have right now. And uh, I guess at the end of the day, it's like Jeff Skinner's gonna be here longer than Ralph Kruger is gonna be. So I don't know why he's doing this. Like this this makes no sense. Why why Skinner sit in the press box in his second year of his extension. Yeah, I mean like you can say, well, maybe he gets traded, but at this rate, like who's trading for a Jeff Skinner? Can't imagine anyone's paying for trading for him, right? Like I don't even think Seattle would even contemplate about um, unless they're gonna pair up Jack Eichel with a Jeff Skinner to send over to Seattle at the expansion draft is like the only way I could see anyone taking on Jeff Skinner in that contract. Like I, I he's one of those players, right? Like he's a good he's a good he's an NHL player. It's just that at that contract, you can't, you know, put him in that lineup half the time. And like I, I think Anson's right for sure. Like like he's like he's gonna be there longer than Ralph Kruger is. So why is Ralph Kruger on purposely, you know, not playing him? Like if you really don't like him, play him and then get someone to trade for him. That's kind of what I'm saying. It's just like, you know what I mean? You don't want him? Sure. Like, you know, we'll, we'll pump up your value by, you know, playing you with Ico or whoever, get you back to like 30 points in 35 games, and uh, whoever whoever wants him, I don't know. Let's just say, like, uh, Florida, you, you want, you know, more firepower for your playoff, you know, for your playoff run? Yeah, go ahead. We'll trade you him for whoever you want. That's a way that, you know, if you really don't like the guy, that's what, you want to get him out of the, out of town, everything? Yeah, that's what I do. But at the, it just makes no sense. Where, like I said, like you're you're benching a guy you have signed to tens of millions of dollars. I mean, like, okay, let's say you try to trade him to, uh, like you said, a uh, uh, Florida. Who even wants? Like, what are you giving up for him? You know what I mean? Well, yeah, uh, absolutely. It's just a like an hypothetical. Who's like whoever's making like a getting off a playoff run? But like realistically, I'm, like like. Jeffrey said, unless you're pairing him up like an Eichel or like a Dallene, no one's touching that contract, especially because you still have another, what, five, six years of that contract for, what, nine million, eight million? Doesn't matter. It's still, it's still a few, a few million more than I would like as a, if you're trading for him. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you put it. Like, there is, you, even if you give him Eichel, how much money are you gonna to have to deal with this to get rid of to figure that out? Right? I don't. How like the money you put in Eichel? That's what like a nineteen million. That's insane. I don't. I don't know how you do it. That's why I'm suggest. Well, I, this is just like fantasy, but like realistically, right? The only team that has cap space is the one team that's not in the NHL right now. That's the Seattle Kraken. Like, if you wanted to do something crazy, right? Would you be like? Here, pick up Jeff Skinner and you give us your first round pick this year and next year. Um, and I'm trying to think, of, think this through, but like, so if Seattle picks Jeff Skinner, well, he also has to waive his no movement clause, right? So that's another problem. So, I'll, like, I'm sure he would move it if he could leave Buffalo, but if Seattle picks up Jeff Skinner and then as part of their like expansion draft considerations trade, um, Seattle also sends like two or three firsts, a couple of prospects that they pick up at the expansion draft to Buffalo for Jack Eichel as well. I don't know if that's possible. I don't. I don't think in that hypothetical trade. I don't think you even need prospects, just simply because of how many years are left on his contract. Just that's abysmal. Unless he becomes like another like you know he becomes like a seventy point guy again. I don't think you have to tr- trade much for him i think you're gonna take assets back while you're acquiring him but is jack eichel not enough of an asset to take back to for like jeff skinner's con i feel like like taking on jeff skinner's contract uh plus giving up a couple of firsts for jack eichel is worth it right like like skinner's contract plus two firsts for eichel seems like a fair 
like a fa- fairly fair trade to me, I guess, especially if Skinner's that bad. Here's the thing, though, right? Like, how do you value Jeff Skinner? I think is the problem where you, you I don't think there is a comparable trade where you value a guy Jeff Skinner because, like, as a as a player, like his skill is one value. It's a, it's a net positive, right? And his contract is the net negative. It's how how do you value that? That's the hard part. I don't think there is a comparable, especially when you look at the NHL, a league that's very much on developing their valuations based on historical representation. You're in, you're going into uncharted territory here, right? That's where I think we'll see a lot of trouble where we they, they don't know how to value a guy like him. Yeah, especially having so many years left in his contract, that just makes it a lot harder. Like, if he was, you know, further into his extension, maybe, like, he only had two or three years left, maybe it would be a little bit easier to value that contract. But he has, like, what, six years left? Like, that's gonna that's a really hard way to value, like, where he's at as a player and both as an asset. I mean, at this rate, like, what do you do, right? Like, you're, you're a stalemate, and I, I don't know if, lead, if ownership like I'm speculating here, lets you trade a guy like Eichel, right? Um, at this point, like, what do you do with a guy like Skinner is the question. I think for me, I think you just play him. Like, you're, you're whether or not you you play him or not, you're still paying him that, the money. You might as well give him, like, the ice time just, to, you know, to prove what he can do and whatnot. Like, you know, we said Lucci many years ago was like an untradeable contract, and he got traded for James Neal, which is also kind of an untradeable contract. You know, that's that happened still. Like there was a trade. You know, um, you know, if you play Skinner, maybe you could flip him for someone of the same like uh, salary or some something like that. Eventually, not now, maybe not next year, but like a few years down the line, you can flip him for something like that. But I think um with with yeah you just got you just got played that guy and just hope that he can play up to at least like a 50 point pace or 60 point pace in a season so basically we're at the point where we're hoping that some other nhl gm screws up and signs a like a james neal or milan lucic deal and then ends up having to regret it and they try to do a change of scenery trade for jeff skinner is that correct that's well yeah like you unless you can like somehow finagle like four three four like two million dollar contracts into that one deal for like salary matching that's like that's the only way you can do it or just buy him out which is gonna be really really rough i don't know if they buy him out man i don't think they buy him out but that's your other option right yeah, I have to agree with Allison there. Though I don't think that they can really buy him out. I think he has that massive signing bonus in a year or two, where it just you're you're basically your uh, cap hit from buying him out is basically same. It's almost like nine million dollars. Like you're not gonna do that, and like he's got a hefty enough contract that's like what almost like three millions of dead space to your cap every year. Like I know the Sabers aren't a cap team, but like that's still like enough of a stranglehold for your cap situation that it's not fun. I mean, okay, so if you they do buy him out on June 15th of this year, for example, um, they'll save some money. Like next year money, next year they'll save almost $9 million. So like, you know, if you want to go for a one-time push, you know, Taylor Hall is a free agent this year. <laughs> um, $9 million. And then, you know, in 2027 to, uh, to what's it called? Uh, 2026, 2027, he'll have a $6.5 million cap hit. And I'm not, what am I doing with a $9 million cap? I'm, I'm completely wrong on this. My apologies. This year, they'll save seven and a half. Seven and a half. Next year, they'll save 27000 not $9 million. I don't know I said $9 million. 27000 while being a $9 million cap hit. So it's basically the same as paying him whether or not he's on the team. I mean, no. It, for the last six years of his deal, it's a $2.5 million cap hit still. So he's, they're basically going to be paying him until 2033. And... I don't know, man. Like, there's no point. <laughs> like a 12 year buyout length, it just that just seems like a lot. I guess here's my thing: is that okay? You buy him out, but he's not the sole issue, or like I don't think he's the biggest issue right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With Buffalo, you got you you went through like three GMs in the span of like five years or something off the top of my head, and I don't even know how many coaches you went through in the past, like in the 2010s. Um, well, that it's like you have Eichel, who's your franchise corner block, as well as Dalene, and it's a lot easier to just tear down, like from what they did. It's just a lot easier, just you know, tank and just get high draft odds and whatnot. But 
I think it's one thing to do that, and it's another thing to build up, which is something that they've struggled with. Just giving contracts to certain players, signing like trading for whatnot. Like they they haven't found a I guess a steady goalie presence, and I don't even know how many years. Probably like since Ryan Miller, right? The thing with goalies, though, it's weird, though, right? Like you as a Columbus Blue Jackets fan should maybe are exempt from this, but because like you guys just seem to have goalies like there is no tomorrow. Um, but goalies are hard to come by, man. That's the hard part, right? We're looking at it like maybe you want to put your you want to put your hope on Uka Pekalukanen, but like you know, goalies are hard to come by, and every team every time a goalie appears. Like, they put it this way. I think we rephrase my thoughts. Jacob Markstrom came out to free agency last season, and everyone was, like, so surprised and, like, whoa, like, it's going to be a nice big bidding war because that happens so rarely. You know what I mean? And when you're you're basically spending your budget on guys like Jeff Skinner, you really don't have the budget to get a guy like him, right? Like, they have half a million on cap space. Like, they're still paying Cody Hodgson's, uh, Cody Hodgson's uh, buyout. Like even like even as a cap team, just because there is a cap, that's what do you do, right? Because like right now, Cardhan's thirty five, right, and his contract ends the season, which is you know not a bad thing if you want to buy get a new goalie, a younger goalie. But at the same time, he's only getting paid two point seven five. Both your goalies are up the season combined to make three and a half. What kind of goalie do you get for three and a half million in the NHL nowadays? You're gonna get two goalies too. Three and a half, like you can get a Jake Allen, but a that's one goalie, and I'm talking about two goalies right now. But that's not the point. Jake Allen is a one B. If you want to compete and challenge, you need a one A. It's as simple as that. It's just how how the league is, right? You need a one A. There, you can't. The Leafs tried it, I think, trying to win Game Seven Six, and realize that doesn't work anymore. So what what do you do? I think their problem. Yes, like we can talk about, you know, they don't have the goalie or not, whatever, but like they've got good pieces. It just seems to me like development in Buffalo just always fails, right? You think of your Casey Middle stats, you think of your Alex Nylanders. I would even argue Sam Reinhart would have been a, would have been a lot better player if he wasn't developed in Buffalo. Okay, like this is a team that's picked top ten for like the last seven or eight years, and really like except for the Sherlock's and like. Jack Eichel and Rasmus Dahlin, like really has any one of their top picks really developed into that all-star top 10 draft pick players? Really? Like, I don't... They just seem to not be able to develop players well. And then at the same time, they're not able to add in those auxiliary pieces around their stars to help them, you know, take the next steps and even make the playoffs. Like, that's, that's concerning. Like, not making the playoffs for that long. I mean, if you really look at it, since... Like uh, 2013, you know, you got Ristolainen, I think he developed. Reinhardt, not as good as he would thought he'd be, but I think he he did well. Looking at first round picks. Um, second round picks is, uh, is, is not good. Let's go with that. Because second round picks is not good. Nylander, okay, you could say he didn't develop. Middle step, you could say he didn't develop. Deline developed. Cousins is looking good. And then I think Jack Quinn, it's too early. So, I mean, like, they've hit and miss, but it's not as bad as you think on the first round. However, when you start looking past the first round is when it gets rough. Sorry, is it fair to say it's like, you know, like obviously past the first round, it's it's most of it is like a miss. Like you don't generally get a whole lot of like NHL quality talent per se, but like at least here and there, like every other year, you might hit on like a late round guy who can be like somewhat of a supporting role for your team. But Buffalo hasn't done that. I don't think it's just that. I think they just... They've been trying to go for it so long. They just get rid of a lot of their picks. So in the first round, I missed up another first round, twenty thirteen. Nikita Zadorov. All right, but the issue is, not, a lot of these guys don't play for them anymore. So if you look at a lot of the guys they've drafted, you know they've drafted Brendan Lemieux doesn't play for them. Zadorov doesn't play for them. JT Comfort doesn't play for them. Um, Cal Peterson doesn't pit, doesn't play for them. Brendan Gooley doesn't play for them. Um, Brandon Hagel, I you know he's a 2016 sixth round pick, doesn't play for them. Um, Rasmus Asplund does play for them, but it's so close. It's only 2016, and you know it's 23 year old. Like he's only played 33 games. Um, like a lot of the guys that they draft don't just don't 
plate for them. Like, put it this way. I think in 2013, they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Two, three, four, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Twelve picks. Um, seven of them played in the NHL. And I think that's pretty good, right? Seven play, seven of them played in the NHL. Um, I'm pretty sure Ristolainen does play for them. And is he the only one? I think he's the only one that still, play, that still plays for them. You had seven guys in the NHL. One guy played for them. Plays for them still, sorry. But, I mean, they did get some games from Sidorov. They got some days from Comfort. Like, like they got Ryan O'Reilly in the comp. Like, they traded Comfort and Zadorov in that O'Reilly trade. I think Nick Baptiste was, like, a... He's a fourth-line guy. His name was Justin Bailey. Uh, I don't know about Cal Peterson if he was a trade or if he was just a free agent pickup in the end after the draft. But, like, like they, they've gotten some games, at least, from their depth picks. But for teams to be successful, they need their depth picks to stay with their team or play longer and provide actual value. And that's the thing with Buffalo. They just haven't gotten any value from their later round draft picks. Yeah. I think that might, I think that's the bigger issue. I think when you look at all these teams that have won, they, you need cost controlled production and cost control production comes from your draft picks. You know, they're still in their ELC. You're still in their bridge contracts. That depth scoring is what often is what nails it on the head. That's what gets you those playoff wins. And I, I think that's the bigger issue more than anything. Yes, they have had some questionable free agents, but I think if you ha- you can have high-end, high-paying free agents and still do well. You look at the Blackhawks when they were doing really well. You know, they're paying a lot to Kane, a lot to Taze, a lot to, to, other, to Crawford, but they had depth and cost control production in guys like Panarin. And that's where I think the bigger issue is. I, I think in general with Buffalo, like we don't, we don't, we don't expect them to win the Stanley Cup anytime soon, but we, we want them to be, you know, at least having a winning record. I think that's all we want for Buffalo. And we're hopefully we can get to that point sometime, someday. Okay. So I guess as in my standpoint, is it at some point do you look at it and go, it might be the organization, like the culture itself? where they almost basically push, not push, but made Ryan O'Reilly like quit hockey. Okay, I don't mean quit hockey. Simmer down there with the hot taste. He did. He basically almost did. Like he wasn't enjoying hockey anymore. I, I, don't, I don't think it's the culture per se. I, I think if you're there, that's a different story, but I don't, I don't think it's a culture. I just, my, my, the view I see is that you have a, it's a bit more of an issue with, not having that depth scoring because at the end, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't know if he, you know, what the culture is like there. Right. So I, I can't tell you, but it could be the depth scoring. Like that's something I can see personally and I can confirm. Right. So that's where I think it's more than anything. I do think it's definitely a little bit of a both though. Like I feel like systemically in Buffalo, they just, Ever since, you know, the early 2000s, right? Like, they just haven't been able to rediscover that, you know, success. And yes, like, you know, depth scoring and goaltending can do something for them. But, like, they just signed Taylor Hall and he has one goal this season. Like, I know Taylor Hall isn't as great of a player as people were thinking he was going to be. But, like, him in Buffalo, I feel like if he wasn't on any other team, he wouldn't have just one goal, right? Like, and that's not a problem with depth scoring. I think there's there might be something systemically wrong in Buffalo. But um, I, I don't think it's the full... I don't think that's the only problem in Buffalo. I think like there's a mixture of both like not having enough depth, the draft picks there, and then as Anson alluded to, I think there might be something in the culture in Buffalo that's causing them to not be as successful as they want to be. Now, before, before we go too far with this, um, this is speculation on behalf of Jeffrey's part. The views were presented are an opinion and do not directly present anything else. (laughs) Trying to not get sued here, my guy. (laughs) I think we really need a soundboard. I think think Zencaster does have a soundboard, but we just had to upgrade it. Then we can actually get a soundboard for Olsen so that we can actually have some more fun with uh, pre-recording either that what the the, whatever the host does not represent this or whatever. I don't even know what you're going to say, but (laughs) you know what? 
let's move on. We don't have a soundboard, so let's just end on our final thoughts. We've got a good, nice, long episode this week. Lots to talk about. Um, but yeah, why don't we talk about everyone's uh, final thoughts for the week? Uh, let's start off with Anson. Uh, I, I'm pretty good. I've said basically all I need to say. Uh, thanks for having me. And go ahead. I, I guess we forgot to introduce uh, Anson at the beginning of the episode. He kind of just pops in and out these days, right? So, he, well, we, we don't want to, uh, you know, make any... Um, uh, I'm, I'm, a lo- I'm at a loss for words today. Maybe we'll just go over to Olsen. I was trying to collect my thoughts, but I can't get there. Or Olsen, just start talking. I'll think what I, was, I need to think what I was going to say. Jeffrey's suffering from a sugar crash. Um, I'm pretty sure. We're going to explain why he's in a sugar crash. I, I, you know what? That's Jeffrey's problem. Why. Um, wash your damn hands, guys. Not that hard. Um, we love y'all. And um, wear a mask. Um, go for a walk if it's if it's not too cold or raining or anything. Go for a walk. Everyone could use a little bit of fresh air. It's good for you. And um, love y'all. And uh, Jeffrey, I'll, I'll give you a redo on that once you, you know, once you gathered your thoughts there. You know what? I'm just going to give up and let's just end the episode. I don't want to even try to talk anymore. I'm just, uh, just going to let it be. How's that sound? All right. Love y'all. Thanks for listening to the Back Fucks Podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. You want to complain about us? You can tweet us at BOP underscore POD on Twitter. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.